Time once again for the Bama Online Podcast, this time a T-Watts and TR edition of the pod. It is Thursday, October the 13th, 2022. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, alongside Tim Watts, site publisher, longtime site publisher for BamaOnline.com. And Tim Watts, it is officially the most wonderful time of the sports year. I think I ought to redo that intro or, I mean, is that okay? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Let's be us. Oh, uh, we love our haters too, right, Tim? They feed us. Yes. They don't realize it's like we're piranha on our haters, but no, I mean, a lot of great stuff. You've got the NBA, you've got uh major league baseball playoffs, the Braves, even up that series with the Phillies last night, Kyle Wright shoving on the hill. For the Braves in a much needed uh, situation there. Uh, and of course, we got the third Saturday of October, college football, man. I, does it get any better in this time of year? It really doesn't. You know, that heat goes away. You get that temperature down. You can uh, uh, quit putting away the excuses not to walk in the morning, you know, or in that <laughs> camp. So it's everything. I mean, every night I can find two or three things to watch. So I'm extremely happy. Um, Alabama, you know, continues to play at a, you know, high level number three team in the country. I've actually enjoyed, I don't understand the crisscross applesauce. I don't know <laughs> how every time Alabama or Georgia plays a close game, they drop. Dave's probably mad Ohio State, who's yet to have a close one, and they've just been sitting outside number one the whole time. I actually like to see Ohio State number one and see what, uh, see that reaction with Georgia-Alabama. But, I mean, we all know at the end of the day those that ranking is not going to matter at all. All of this is going to play out, no doubt about it, and wanted to get your thoughts. We're going to move ahead to Alabama-Tennessee. Don't worry. We've also got an outstanding mailbag from our roundtable there, message board at BamaOnline.com to get to a little bit later in the program. Recruiting talk, obviously a big part from the weekend. But the game itself, Tim – uh, your thoughts. It uh, obviously played out a little tighter, even with Jalen Milrow behind center, than I think a lot of people anticipated. Yeah, I don't know what you know. The thing about Alabama losses are, and I, you know, obviously I'm, I've got a lot of Alabama friends and also people on the message board and stuff. It's like every Bama loss is the most painful loss. Almost you get, you know, your kick six in, you got a ball rolling like a bowling ball down the sideline against Auburn. You got all these things that happen against them. Very few ex- times do you just go into the get your butt kicked and you can basically just turn off the volume and watch Netflix and keep it on in the corner like they did against Clemson in the national championship game that year. This had all the makings of one of those losses. This had the, they did basically everything they could. You had Will Reichert, who's unbelievable, missing field goals. Um, not only that, you had Milrow take a sack to add a good 10 or 11 yards to one of those field goals. Will misses a chippy. You had, obviously, the turnovers. Uh, they won several jump balls, especially late. Even that last drive, I don't understand. Someone's going to have to explain to me how, and I do think it was a legitimate injury, but the Aggies were driving, threw the ball, caught it, clock's running, and their center got injured. How is that like a timeout? How is that a they didn't even start the – they started the clock on the snap. How is there no runoff? Literally, it's an extra timeout. I had no idea they could do that. They had – you know, that drive was a was a minute 19 or whatever it was. It lasted 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> it lasted forever down to the Brian Branch 
um, pass interference. He did get a tug on him, and then after the closeout with you know, you know, good pass rush, a really tough play, very similar play to what I think Alabama tried to run to beat the Aggies against uh, Johnny Manziel actually, and Arnold was all over that, and he did a good good job. So really. You know, it, it it was hard to watch. I mean, it was a great game in retrospect. And if you're not tied to Texas A&M and Alabama, it was probably an unbelievably enjoyable game. But Alabama did everything it could to lose, made mistakes, penalties, all the good stuff. But they still won. And I know Texas A&M is not a good football team. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they are. But they do have talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They have talent. They have guys on the offensive side of the ball. They got five stars. At wide receiver, they got five stars. You know, they got a lot of five stars on that team, and those guys played. So it's got talent. It's not a good football team, obviously. Um, missing its quarterback, they they played some musical chairs. Hank, you know, I think Haynes started. Max Johnson beat him out. Haynes was back in, but um, I will say that was a that was a team. You know, playing with you know everything that you know how riled up as riled up as Alabama was. Alabama fans were Texas A and M was just as much because they saw that. That, that back and forth with uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. But, you know, to me, you know, live in advance, you know, survive in advance. I'd like to survive a little earlier in the game personally. But you know, <laughs> looking back, when I watched the game the second time, I thought it was a fantastic game. Um, Let me ask you this about Jalen Milrow. Did that performance impact how you view him big picture wise in any way? Did it give you reason to maybe have pause in thinking about him as the potential successor to Bryce Young? Or do you think it was simply a case of a young quarterback put into a very big spot, knowing that he's the guy pretty much throughout the week and then could have been some paralysis by analysis? It looked like maybe Jalen Milrow played the game in his head on by Wednesday or Thursday of the practice week. And then by the time game time rolled around, there really wasn't much left for him. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not one. Maybe it's just my age or maybe I, I, I have empathy that other people lack. But I, I can see the dilemma that he ran into. He certainly made mistakes. And for the people saying he made mistakes, he's always had a tight throw in motion. This is nothing new. This is not new. The guy is, you know, the guy is built like Adrian P- Adrian Peterson, so he's not going to have a fluid throw like a Tua or a Mac or a Bryce. Um, I do think he got in his own way several times. I think that was the best way to put it. Also, there were a few times that you know, you know that that's, what's that saying now? You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what it's like to face that bandit coming off the edge. You don't know. I mean, he did miss open guys, but it wasn't all bad. He had good plays. He had good runs. He had good passes. I'm certainly not throwing him, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater in this situation. He he kind of is what we thought he was going to be. My biggest disappointment in his performances so far, there's been two, I think, besides the second fumble, definitely have to cover that up. But he's had two deep throws that I really wanted to see him turn it loose. I know he's got the arm to throw up 40, 50, 60 yards, and he really got a lot of air on it trying to add touch, and he just absolutely underthrew both of them. In that situation, I'd like to see him overthrow it. You know, let him run under it or let it be incomplete because you don't want to under. I just want to see him go deep and have that ability to trust that it's going to be there. But no, I don't. I don't think it's a final verdict. I've watched football for a long time, and quarterbacks develop at their own pace. There was a time. Now, I love the revisionist history 
uh, <laughs> several people where, oh, I knew Jalen Hurts was going to lead the Eagles to an undefeated season in his third year. No, no. I, you and I are on that message board. Jalen had yeah. performances that were very questionable. I had people tell me that he, when he was looking to transfer, there wouldn't be FBS schools interested. I mean, in not FBS. power, not power fives. FBS in general. Were, he was going to FCS. Tim is what I was told. Yeah, and that, and that was never the case either. Jalen's a limited quarterback. He's a limited quarterback in the NFL. I love the Eagles. Not a fan of the Eagles, but I know some of the staff members. I know some of the – I have followed some of the players. I enjoy watching that team. I've watched them for three years since Jalen got there. Certainly watched them since Smitty got there. But uh, Jalen's still a limited quarterback. He still does the same thing. He's looking for a read or two, and then he's pulling it down and running, and that's kind of – just what he is. But the people that are coming back with the, we knew Jalen was going to know that's, that's most people did not know. We had to, we have to, we have to watch. I've watched that message. I've never missed a day on that message board in my life since we've been doing this thing. And, um, I did, it's just not true. I mean, it's the same thing. And, you know, Matt Jones, it wasn't too far away that people were talking about how he wasn't even good enough to be on the scout team. And certainly we remember that reaction after the Auburn game where people just thought not not comparing him to J- Jalen Milrow, but they just didn't think Mac was the guy. OK, they just right. didn't they just didn't think Mac was the guy. But I know I mean, quarterbacks, a, it's a it's a developmental uh, a position. I mean, Brett Favre got traded from the Falcons because they didn't think he was good enough, couldn't beat out. I can't even remember who it was. That stuff happens all the time. So. Um, Aaron Rodgers had no offers out of high schools, had to go to junior college, ended up with a couple offers, ends up, you know, three-time MVP. So now I'm not going to throw, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bath, bathwater with Milrow. Cause I saw stuff he did. He had some, some very nice passes. And he had some very bad passes. And, you know, to me, the biggest thing for Jalen in that situation, the biggest thing is he has to become a game manager. That should have been on Saturday. He should have been run when the pass isn't there, protect the ball at all costs. And uh, that that's where I think he made the mistake. And, you know, I don't four turnovers is a lot. The interception was almost a pass punt. Uh, I'm not going to fault Jace McClellan for <laughs> I'm not going to fault him at all for fumbling. He had a 320 pound grown man. Walter Nolan, yeah. Head first, like Greg Leganus. Intentionally the, butted at the football with his head. Yeah, it, looked like. it, wasn't like, it wasn't like he did. He just accidentally hit it. He dove at the ball. Yeah. Um, Superman wasn't holding on to that thing. That's a tough, he, that's a tough play, yeah. Yeah, that one. Now, the first, the first, the first one was, uh, was, was a, was a fumble that I guess you can excuse. But the second one, I mean, he's going through the lane. He's feeling the pressure. He's holding it out there like a loaf of bread. So he'll, you know, he's got to learn from that. I mean, he's got to learn from that. And a lot of guys learn on the job. I certainly remember the criticism of Bryce. I remember the criticism of Bryce last year in the Auburn game. You know, so these quarterbacks, you know, sometimes they get confused. They're still, you know, young quarterbacks playing at a high level. They're going to get confused if you run into a defense like that. But a lot of Milrow, I will admit for sure, a lot of Milrow's uh, issues were uh, were self-inflicted. So Yeah, that, I, I, think, I think you could say about it, too. Alabama wasn't better for Jalen Milrow starting that game against A&M, obviously, but Alabama and Jalen Milrow down the road could be a lot better for him after he started that game, big picture-wise, I guess. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, he comes in the middle of the Arkansas game, did a lot of good things, especially with his feet. Um, 
and you have what four days to put in a whole new system for Jalen Milrow versus Bryce Young. That did not look, and I'm not criticizing Bill O'Brien one way or the other. I'm not. I don't have a comment. To me, I think the better aspect of that would have been to keep the spread out there. You give him more run lanes. You have more backs to the football. You have less guys that that, that are spying on him. They definitely had a spy on him, and uh, they had a good one. That guy Spiller was a very good football player. But at the end of the day. If I'm a coach and the difference between me scoring and not scoring is Jalen Milrow versus one guy, I'm going to put my money on Jalen Milrow. I think he's a big, strong, powerful. I know he's a big, strong, powerful kid who can run the ball. Obviously, you're going to have to change some things. I don't, you know, I know you have four days to put in a whole new offense around Bryce or try to work Jalen into there. Um, It just wasn't a lot of time. I mean, it's, you know, you're in the middle of the season. He's been getting second team reps. and again, the crowd, and you know, you know, the thing is, is like sometimes it's more pressure on you playing in front of your own people than other people. Yeah, you know, you know your friends. Your well, and, and and when you're thrown in there like he was at Arkansas, you don't have time to think about it, right? You're just yeah. you, you go, you're playing. He had a week to think about that situation, and a um, lot talking about it. And you know what? They spent the week. Who do we spend the week talking about? Nobody spent the week talking about Jalen Milrow. We spent the whole week wondering what Bryce was doing. Yeah. So, you know, I think that all factors in when you're a young guy and all that. I do know uh, he's not a perfect quarterback, and nobody ever thought he was a perfect quarterback. We thought he was an athlete with a big arm, big size, big speed, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think, you know, going into a very hostile environment, uh, you know, he's going to have to, you know, if he's the starter, he's going to have to protect the football. He's going to have to be smart. He's going to have to pick his moments. He's going to have to have confidence. I think you hit on it though with the game manager aspect. That that has to happen. You know, you have to be able to carry out the plan, whether it suits you to a T or not. Um, you, you've got to run the offense mistake free. You can't turn the football over. And then in the situations where you're needed to make plays, great, go ahead and make plays. But it just felt like he thought he had to do more in that game than he really had to do. You know, it, it was pretty obvious he was pressing uh, to to try to be more than they probably needed him to be. Yeah, and at times, you know, you could see him hesitant to run when he definitely should have pulled it down and run. You know, the, I think the thing he did, the biggest mistake to me, was sitting back there and kind of being indecisive. Because if you run yeah. the ball and you get two yards, three yards, you know, that's a, that's a your coaches are going to take that. Um, you know, fans might not like it, but you want a positive yard. You don't want to take a six-yard sack. You don't want to be throwing it out of bounds when you could have got two or three yards because every every little yard is going to matter. So, and again, you got to learn that. You got to learn it on the fly. You know, I don't want to compare it to a movie, but we saw Willie Steeman Beeman's development in any given Sunday. We've seen that in real life. It takes a minute. The game's fast, and you know, switching to that. If you've seen the movie Any Given Sunday. What I loved about that movie, which is a great movie, by the way, very realistic. Well, is- what I loved about that movie is that it turns out that the Miami team doctor in real life was uh, James Woods. Yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't realize that, but it, it yeah. played out that way. I love the scene where they put <laughs> you had the camera on the uh, the quarterback basically seen out of his eyes and everything he was seeing. <laughs> yeah, was absurd. Yeah. So that's you know, that was a good view of what they see. But yeah, James Woods, who knew it? Who knew James had went on to actually get his I business. didn't know that he had, yeah, actually pursued that in real life until that's, the Tua situation that's came that's up. That's I believe, for everybody wants a great movie. <laughs> that's full of cliches and good stuff. But yeah, with Jalen, I just think that you have to 
you know, if this is Jalen five games into his career, three games into his career, I think, you know, I think we, we're having a different discussion. But I, I just think there's patience required. And I know fans, and, and, and I'm not a particularly patient man, so I'm not pointing fingers. I know it's, <clears throat> it's hard to be patient. But sometimes that's what it takes. I mean, you, you know, you gotta you gotta let a guy develop. You gotta figure it out. A coaching staff has to figure out what works for him and what doesn't work for him. Um, I think regardless of Jalen's start, I, I believe Alabama is a competitive football team with anybody in the country. That's what I believe. Whether it's with Bryce, whether it's with Jalen, or whether it's with Ty Simpson, who I believe is getting some second team reps this week. Whoever it is, I think they can be a, they're a competitive football team. They've got a good offensive line. They've got a good defense. They've got a good running game. I think they'd be competitive with anybody. So, like, you know, like we're saying, go back to that almost game management. Don't beat us. Let's see if we can figure it out with the other 21 guys. Um, obviously, Bryce, you know, you're spoiled. You know, we're all spoiled. Any Alabama fan is spoiled going, you know, the, this run, you know, Jalen to Tua to Mack. To Bryce, it's absurd. I mean, it really is stupid. It makes you appreciate how good those guys were, especially their first game starting for the whole year, how good they were. So, um, all that being said, uh, Bryce going to start Saturday, right? I have no idea. You know, I haven't even bothered, <laughs> you know, I haven't really even bothered digging in because I don't feel like one anyone's really going to tell me the right answer. I think they might. Right might try to deflect. I'm in that paranoid, paranoid state. And I really, you know, I think what we expected, what I was told to expect was it's going to be slow this week. And if it ramps up, there's a chance he plays. And so Nick Saban mentioned yesterday, he's on a pitch count. So he's throwing some, and then maybe today he throws a little bit more. And, you know, the thing about it is to dust, if he's healthy, if he's good enough to throw to dust that rust off, isn't going to take a whole lot, you know? No. Major League Baseball pitcher, he takes four days off between games, light throws. Bryce will get that dust off pretty quickly. Regardless of Bryce or Jalen's a starter, I think it's going to be a, a, a you know, a, a, a tremendous, you know, opportunity, as Nick Saban would say. It's a good football team they're playing. It's an excited football team they're playing. Um, I certainly get where they come from, you know, after, you know, losing to Alabama so many years, and I get they're ex- a, a good football team. Yeah, I think with Bryce this week, it's probably you're concerned about his ability to protect himself and his willingness at times to protect himself because we talked about this and how he was injured to start with, the way the guy plays, right? You think he's just going to go out there and uh, turn down opportunities to leave the pocket and try to make explosive plays from outside the pocket? Or, you know, he had two rushing touchdowns against Tennessee last year in this game. So, with his legs, just as a runner, he's obviously uh, a big factor. So uh, if he's not where he needs to be, uh, that, that's obviously something you've got to consider because of the way he plays. Yeah, I think he just, you know, to me, like the – and we've seen it before. It's not just a play against Arkansas. We've seen Bryce extend, 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 where he basically just steps out of bounds on the sideline because there was nothing there. Just, you know, flip the ball, and that ends all of that. You know what I mean? Just flip the ball to the line of scrimmage. You don't even have to run. Oh, but guys, like, they hate waving that white flag, Tim. They hate it. No, I agree. I agree. That's the competitor. That's part of what you love about Bryce is no play is ever truly dead. That's the way they they view it. You and I don't view it that way, but that's that's how they view it, right? They're they're surrendering. They're giving in. Boy, that's just – I that's a that's a fine line to live on. 
I don't know how many safeties I'd give up if I was the quarterback. <laughs> They'd have to run. You be Dan Orlovsky for Why the Lions, running just running three yards out the back. Why did the team take a safety on the first drive? Because they blitzed. <laughs> They can't hit me out of the back of the Because end. I could hear them breathing. That's why. Before the snap, I heard them. Yeah. to me, mister. Nobody yes. Puts that's, that's, that's couch jockeys, boy. We know how to play some quarterback. You, we can focus on the negative all we want, but, um, you know, with, you know Jalen, the negative. How about Jameer Gibbs, man? Gibbs, unbelievable performance. That offensive that. line. Yeah. Yeah, For offensive part. Offensive line was fantastic. You know, a couple of really nice play calls. The defense, I thought, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not going to, I'm not big griping on the officials, but I, I thought there was a lot of holding. You know, I think when you look at Will Anderson has like, I think I read eight quarterback pressures and no sacks. <laughs> that yeah. kind that kind of tells me, you know, somebody might have got, got some hands on it. There's got some doubles too, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's. Yeah, they had said, but I just thought overall when you looked, I mean, you know, Henry Toa Toe, I thought was really good, especially in the first half of that game. And we've talked about this on the last podcast. He kind of struggled against Arkansas. Not a really good matchup for him with that guy running around. He's going to be tested this week because he's going to that similar, yeah, similar. And, you know, obviously big impact because, you know, he was at Tennessee for, you know, a few years. So um, thought the defensive line played good. Deontay Lawson continues to show. You know, that he's going to be a good player that, you know, I hated. I really felt bad because I thought Terrion Arnold had that interception on the last drive. It looked like his foot slipped. He just couldn't because I know the kid can get up. I've seen his back. basketball player. Yeah. He just slipped and he's a little awkward, um, you know, a little bit awkward of a jump. But, you know, there were some good things in that game, you know, you know, starting with the win. You know, we said this. I said it after the game is probably lost to a lot of people. But if you're recruiting, if you're a recruiting guy. And you're, you know, you have as many guys as they had on campus. That was the best case scenario. That was because. Oh, you had a fully charged crowd for four they, quarters. They yeah. were in there for four quarters. Now, if Alabama's up 28 to three at halftime in that game, take the first half kickoff for a touchdown or a field goal, second half kickoff for a touchdown or a field goal. 31-3, 35-3. crowd's going to leak out of there. It's Friday night. The students are going to get ready to go out and stuff. So really from an atmosphere standpoint, you couldn't ask for many things. And there hasn't been many close games with that environment for Alabama in a while. I mean, it just hasn't, there hasn't been a lot of opportunities. So um, the feedback from the recruiting was unbelievable. I mean, the, <laughs> you can see the kids on social media celebrating it. Unbelievable. Probably, you know, some of them saw the best game they'd ever seen. And it's, you know, it's friendly adversaries. I mean, you, you know, if you're at that game as a recruit, you're seeing several guys you know play at Alabama, guys you know from Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher's probably recruiting you if Nick Saban is. So, uh, great. You know, from a recruiting standpoint, it was an A++. Our guy, Steve Wiltfong, national recruiting analyst for us at 247sports.com, he dropped some bold predictions, speaking of recruiting, yesterday, Tim. And one of those official visitors from over the weekend, Keon Keeley, the five-star edge from Berkeley Prep School in Tampa, looks like uh, Fong is is in on Keeley to Alabama and a couple other guys on his list here uh, with some potential good news for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, Keon was an official visitor. You know, very interesting um, recruitment so far. I mean, he was a guy that committed Notre Dame very early. 
staying committed. There was rumors he might, you know, I knew he was talking to Alabama and we knew that, that Alabama was, you know, still keeping his ear to some degree. But I kept saying on the message board, if he doesn't visit, you know, there's nothing really to talk about. Now, if he visits, we have, we're going to have a different discussion. Well, he ended up visiting, decommitting, went for an unofficial visit. Since that time, he's taken an unofficial to Florida. He's been on an official to Ohio State. He's been on an unofficial to Ohio State, and then he took an official to Alabama. So um, definitely one of the best players in the country, a big – you know, the, the thing about him, he is a jack at his size. He's a big kid. Uh, Alabama's recruiting him for a jack, uh, the jack outside linebacker position, 6'6", 240. And he has that athleticism and size to play that position. And, you know, we've seen that that guy. He's been a little bit smaller. It's hard to find a guy with that skill set at that size. But if you go back, the very first one that sort of made the position famous was was, was Jason Taylor, right? And he's yeah. probably similar in built to Jason Taylor, Defensive MVP at the, with the Miami Dolphins for Nick Saban. So it makes sense that they recruit him there. They've got other guys that are recruiting it in. So still, I think Alabama's did a fantastic job here. Ohio State's certainly putting a lot of the pressure on. I think Florida's hanging around in the background, probably a two-team race. I still give the advantage to Alabama um, without any certainty of what he'll actually do at this point. But did have done a really good job with a really good player. Another uncommitted prospect who was on an official to Alabama over the weekend, Deuce Robinson, the tight end from Las Vegas. What's been the feedback on his trip to Tuscaloosa? And is it going to be more of a question of whether or not he stays out West or what are we seeing there? I mean, to me, I think everything I've heard, everything I've talked about is he's, he like. let's be clear. He likes Alabama. He's been here multiple times. He's a baseball player. He's met with the baseball staff each time he's been here, uh, you know, obviously tight end prospect, one of the best in the nation, big kid, very, very good football player. George is also involved, but I think USC, everything I hear is USC, you know, you know, some, you know, some kids are just West coast kids, just like some kids are Southern kids. It's hard to pull them away from home. Everything I've gathered, Alabama did a great job, probably a long shot, but you know, um, we have some ground to make up anyways, even coming off the official visit. But, um, you know, everything I've heard so far has been Southern Cal. Kind of this sort of popped up. Haven't really dug in deep to him until I just realized he was coming for a visit and then realized that he, uh, you know, got some feedback after his visit. So USC seems to be there in the best. Georgia certainly has done a good job with tight ends. I think that's the position they're probably known for right now. Having, you know, tight end. I know Brock Bowers is probably the most talked about guy on that Georgia team. Fantastic kid. And he's from the West Coast. So, Georgia's still in play, I'm told, but you know most of our West Coast guys think he's going to, you know, leave, you know, take the short distance from Arizona to USC. Yeah, I got it wrong there. I was thinking Darnell Washington from uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, right? Darnell's. Yeah. He ended up Darnell's in Georgia. Yeah, Bart Bowers, I think, is from California, right? Deuce Robinson from Phoenix, yeah, Arizona. Phoenix. Yeah, you've got uh, Brock from, I believe it's Northern California. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, the dogs have gone national. For those elite tight ends, but we talk about a tight end, we talk about offense, but we talked about also in some previous podcasts that still a defensive emphasis when you look at Keeley and you look at guys like Dave and Hobbs, who I know you're very high on from the state of North Carolina. Um, you're also talking about still some in-state guys, right? Like, like James Smith that are out there. Yeah. Well, you know, they seem to hit pretty much on, you know, they, they did a really good job of completing an offensive, their offensive recruiting 
seemingly early. I mean, you've got two running backs committed, two of the best in the nation. You got two quarterbacks committed, two of the top ten in the nation. You got five offensive line committed, and and there's some big boys that you know Wolf, the, the offensive line coach, prioritized there. You got a tight end. You know they flipped from Ohio State. So really, you got oh, and then you know you get Jalen Hill, the, you know the the wide receiver from Texas. We talked about a few weeks ago to complete your wide receiver group. So if you're looking like a fantasy team, like a real team, 22 players on each side, Alabama's kind of hit on everything they wanted to offensively. Now, I'm sure there's guys that are just too good to pass up that are out there um, possibly, but defense is where they still have some guys to go. And a lot of that's on the front seven. They want to add a cornerback and the cornerback class is uh, just not great. Just so much, you know, every now and then you run into a, Run into a year, it's just not a great class at a certain position. So you've got a cornerback, you've got the defensive lineman, Jake Smith, obviously, and Montgomery is a monster target and a monster player. Um, his buddy and teammate, Quay Russaw, is another one that's, you know, I, I think is, you know, different kind of players, but both are equally just as good uh, in their own special way. And uh, then you see Alabama going out and digging in and finding linebackers like Arian Carter, who they've offered, and I think they have a uh, have a good shot at. And then uh, Tyler Scott, a defensive back. So Alabama does a good job of uh, of finding guys. I think we've seen that throughout the years. They do a really good job of finding guys throughout the cycle because they're not really going to sit and wait. You know, obviously Ole Miss inside linebacker, running back slash athlete. Certain Perkins was on campus and Alabama's been flirting with him, but they're going to have a, have another guy, you know, where they would like to take, especially a guy's athletic as Arian Carter. He's a committed to Memphis. Mm-hmm. In this situation, it's almost like poor Memphis. Cause he's like, yeah, if everything falls through. I'll go to Memphis. <laughs> it's almost like asking a problem. Look, if nobody else asks me, including my cousin, I'll go with you. Uh, no. That's basically where we're at. But the guy had a, you know, has has seen his recruitment broke, blown up. LSU, Ohio State, Tennessee, USC, Alabama, all doing a good job. So this class, I think, regardless, is going to be a really good class. And the finish is going to be, you know, it's going to be competitive. I mean, there's a lot of guys, you know, and you whittle that list down. It's it's a lot of top guys with a lot of top schools fighting for them. Yeah, we talk recruiting. And we look ahead to this matchup between Alabama and Tennessee on Saturday. And it's interesting to think about how it's really been uh, not only a a change in fortunes on the field over these last 15 games, but from a recruiting perspective there, before Saban arrived at Alabama, the end of the Phil Fulmer era, you know, that was a Tennessee program. And I guess in part because it was a requirement. Uh, that was a, a national player on, on the recruiting front. Just look at the quarterback position uh, for more on that. I mean, you had guys like, uh, obviously, Peyton Manning from New Orleans, Casey Clawson from California, Eric Ainge. Uh, T. Martin was a Alabama guy from Mobile. Um, and Alabama, let's be honest, was pretty regional uh, in its approach before Nick Saban. That has totally changed, as we've seen now. And it looks like Tennessee is trying to use some of this momentum, especially on the offensive side of the ball under Josh Heupel to get back to that. We've seen them with a big hit already for this class at the, the quarterback position from a, from a national perspective of these two programs, Tim, 
which is it more important to, to be able to go beyond that three hour radius and, and be able to, to pull in prospects that will allow them to compete at the highest level in college football. You know, for me, Tennessee, you know, Tennessee's kind of ran into the same thing Nebraska ran into is that like you're in a state that doesn't produce as much talent. And really, I mean, if you compare, cause you look at the South, you got Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, you know, goes over to Texas. Those are some of the very best, uh, per capita talent producers in the country. Alabama does a great job. Mississippi's underappreciated. Louisiana, everybody knows Georgia and Florida. Tennessee doesn't produce nearly at that level. On average, they'll have classes that are outstanding. They all, you know, they've certainly had those wraparound classes. And um, so for me, for Tennessee, it they have to go national. I mean, they went to California to get their top quarterback. You know, for, you know, when we were growing up, Nebraska and Tennessee were two really good football programs. I think Nebraska, you know, used to do a good job of evaluating. I think Tennessee did a good job of evaluating. But now with Huddle, everybody can do a good job of evaluating, right? You don't mm-hmm. have bushes and and you know you don't super scouts. You know, all you got to do is you know have a really good computer and some bandwidth, you know, to really get a good view on a guy that go see him and all that. So to me, it's Tennessee, and also Tennessee is always. You know, and I know Alabama fans will, you know, not be happy with that. But I mean, Tennessee's much more attractive than a lot of places in the country. I mean, there's a lot of history there. It's in the SEC. They get to play Georgia, South Carolina. You know, they're in that area with the with the Carolinas. So, um, recruiting wise, definitely, I think Tennessee it benefits Tennessee more than Alabama. But don't get me wrong, Alabama produces more talent than Tennessee per capita for state. But they. Mm-hmm. Leave the state too. Now, not every year this year they could have signed a dozen guys easy from the state of Alabama, and they've been on a run with a pretty good class. Next year is going to be good, and the year after, it's an early start, but it looks like it's going to be good. So, obviously, that's uh, you know, there's periods where it's much better than it usually is. So, but both teams have to go out of state to get talent, and you're right, it used to kind of be like you know, border wars, it used to be. You know, a team full of Tennessee players versus a team full of Alabama players. But I, I believe that's long gone. But I do think Josh Heupel is going to be able to recruit nationally. They've proven that so far. Yeah, you know, you think about it. Who is Saban's top – who has been Saban's top player that he's gotten out of Tennessee to this point? Dante Hightower? Barrett Jones? Um, I mean, my – that's certainly Dante's certainly my favorite um, okay. high school prospect. Barrett was great, don't get me wrong, but Dante's right. the one freakish we photographer TG Pass <laughs> on his way to see the Tennessee Alabama game. Yes, it was. And I said, "Won't you stop by and see him on Friday night?" And he said, "Sure, I'll get some film." And he called me. He's like, "Hey, yeah, I got some good clips. He had a bunch of tackles and a kickoff return." And I was like, "What? Well, wait, what?" <laughs> He had a block. He had a block on a kickoff return. He's like, like oh, no, he he returned yeah, the kickoff. Yeah, I was like, holy <laughs> shit. I mean, I already knew what he. You know, I knew how Bam was talking about him. So Dante's a favorite. Barrett was great. You know what I mean? You know, never going to sleep on Barrett. And uh, he had a great story. You know, that was the one where I get a call from a uh, basketball staff, and they're like, "Hey, uh, there's this kid. Godfrey's got a friend. One of his roommates in college has a kid." here at camp and he's supposed to be big. Auburn just offered him. I don't know if Alabama liked him and this is under the Shula regime. And they said, but they got him working out at tight end, but he's supposed to be an offensive lineman. So I called the Alabama staff and told them, 
hey, I don't know if this kid's any good. He's from Memphis. His name's Barrett Jones, but Auburn just offered him. Um, I think y'all have him there as a uh, as a uh, tight end, and then they they called back. Worked. Around, I don't know if they worked him at offensive line or not, but started to recruit him. And um, you know, of course, that turned out to be you know um, Mark Godfrey's uh, roommate in college's son. So um, I of course fine with Barrett. Sent three Jones to the state, you know, to the University of Alabama. Three Jones brothers went there. So and who can forget Barrett shoving AJ? I mean, that's. <laughs> You know, I think a lot of people would say pick one play to define the Saban era. That's always going to be the one I think of. Beating Notre Dame, AJ, you know, Barrett shoving AJ. Still getting after it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, that summed it up. But Hightower to me was just an incredible, was an incredible football player. Yeah. You know, and we think about Tennessee pre-Saban. Tennessee was doing a lot of things in that Atlanta area that we've seen Nick Saban do at Alabama too, right? Cozy Coleman. That's a blast from the past. Jamal Lewis from that Atlanta area. Uh, yeah. Tennessee was, was doing it in Metro ATL as well. Don't forget T Martin from mobile. That was quite the battle. With yeah. All, you know, there Jason was a, Swain, uh, Tennessee came into to Alabama and got too, right? Yeah. Last that was season. the year Alabama had an unbelievable class and that's when they lost several guys, you know, Chad Jackson, wide receiver from Uber. He ended up going to, um, um, mm-hmm. One of the Sears kids from up north, he went to Tennessee with Swain. I don't think he had as good as a career as Jason Swain did. Um, no, that was a you know that was around the Brody Kroll class, Carnell. All those guys were in that same little same little range. So yeah, I mean Tennessee's did a good job. That North, they did back then a really good job of getting the North Alabama because really it's not far. I mean if you're in Huntsville. You know, you're not that far from Knoxville. You're probably in that probably an equal amount to Tuscaloosa from Huntsville. Yeah, I would say it's it's Got equitable. Look. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's not that far off. Yeah. So yeah. when it, you know, I used to go to those schools up in the north to cater and all of them, and it was kind of a hodgepodge. You know, you'd have kids from all over. You know, you'd have Philip Rivers going to NC State, Nikita Stover coming to Alabama. Um, I forget the wide receiver that went to Ole Miss. I can't remember. Not sure. Yeah, but there was a wide receiver that went to Ole Miss. Somebody can correct me, fill me in later. He was a good, really good football player. So they bounced around a good bit up there um, and sort of made the rivalry a little bit more interesting because Alabama would go to Tennessee and get good players. But, you know, now they still recruit. They still cross-recruit. I mean, Alabama flipped the tight end Lockwood, who's from Tennessee, but he was really looking at uh, He's really committed to Ohio State, Tennessee didn't seem to factor in very much. So let's kind of give some personal perspective on where we were at in our respective lives. The last time Tennessee won a game in this series, got to go back to 2006, game played in Knoxville. What about it, Tim? What was the what was the brood like? Uh, What was the Watts family like at that point? 15 years, 16 years ago. I'm pretty sure we were pregnant with our fourth child, who'd be our daughter, Abriella, at that stage. might have been early. I'm not sure I knew it. I'm sure my wife knew it. But I'm pretty sure that's close to that because she's born the next next June. So okay. probably in that ballpark, that's where we were. Had a uh, So she's been born and got in, gotten her learner's permit to drive. Yes, since, uh, since Tennessee, years old since Tennessee yeah. beat Alabama. 
there's things my kids just don't understand that I understand. And um, it's like the year Alabama won the national championship and the Saints won the Super Bowl. And the, I was like, this is big. And they're like, let's just do it every year. And I was like, I hate kids. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we might never get back. You know, you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta put it in perspective, but yeah, they didn't enjoy They haven't got no perspective on this rivalry. Not the zero. It's me. It's different for me. <clears throat> my oldest brother, and my youngest brother were Tennessee's. And then the, my second brother was an Alabama fan. So we had two and two. So we had to limit, I've never hated Tennessee, to be clear. I've never trash talked Tennessee, want to beat them and all that. Basically, so for you, is it is it Auburn that's the the biggest bigger rival of the two? Then is that what you're telling me? For me, I think it just rotates year by year. Yeah. I mean, Whoever's the better team, maybe. Yeah, but that's it. Like one year, I really, you know, I remember the year after Ole Miss beat Alabama twice. That was the game. That next year, that third year, I really wanted to see Alabama win. I mean, for me, you couldn't really get too mad. Cause you get smacked upside the head if you're talking trash to your brother. So we all had to like play nice. So that took a little bit um, out of it with the mom ready to beat your butt. If you're arguing about a football game, she always found something for you to do. So for me, it's really just about to see really it's about who, who irritated, who, who wronged me. <laughs> yeah. If you did something to piss me off the year before, that's who I'm circling. It could be Louisiana Monroe with a late hit. It could, be, it could be anybody. I'm a spiteful. I'm a spiteful guy when it comes to that. But when you look at this series, I mean, me and you were, you know, we were, what is that, 10 out of 12? We were dead in the middle of that thing for 10 out of yeah. 12 years. Um, and those those games, that 10 out of 12 years, you know, if you look at the differences, like, you know, Tennessee was beating some pretty decent Alabama teams at the time. Now, Alabama, you look at the same streak. The thing I noticed, and I pulled up the, the win results, but if you look – at Alabama's ranking when they played Tennessee, two one eight two one one four eight one 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 two four. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> that just speaks the volumes of how good Alabama's been and consistent under under Nick Saban. So, um, um, very very interesting. And then I've enjoyed having something to talk about this week. I can't remember the Tennessee game being talked about in years. No, not from yeah, been- fans and not from Alabama fans. It's almost like. You know, it was almost just if he was brought up, it was talking about memories. You know, Roman Harper's fumble or uh, the block field goals or whatever. You know, Tennessee's you know big plays and big wins. Peyton doing his thing in the end zone after a win. But this week's been people talking about the game, and it's I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, you know, our oldest he's 26 now, and so when Alabama beat Tennessee in 2005 in Tuscaloosa. It was that nine six something like that. Um, he was he was over the moon as about a ten year old at the time because prior to that he hadn't really seen Alabama beat Tennessee, so he still he still has a special affection for the two thousand five team that went into you know November undefeated with Mike Shula. And, and and he's been spoiled, don't get me wrong. I mean, he attended the University of Alabama. I think Alabama won two national championships in the four years he was there. Um, our youngest attended Alabama, won the national championship in 2020 while she was there. In fact, she was on social media, I guess it is, last night. She'll be 21 in January. And I, there was a thing on Instagram, I think it was, to post a picture of yourself the last time Tennessee beat Alabama. And she actually had a picture of herself when she was five at the 
Independence Bowl, Tim. The Joe Kynes Independence Bowl. So she actually had a picture of her five-year-old self that she was able to put on Instagram. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you're right. This this current generation, uh, they, they really don't know anything else. And uh, hey, I think... I think don't you think sports has changed though from us to the kids? I mean, like we had, we had, we didn't really have a lot to work, you know. No. We didn't have a lot to work, look forward to, you know. We had the weekend to look forward to games. We didn't have. It's almost like the weeks were slower. It felt like right weeks like this like because there to, wasn't there wasn't the distractions of no, social media and everything else. You just you were waiting all day every day until yeah. Saturday. And now you like we you know we're going to discuss in a minute. You can turn on your TV, and you can watch baseball. You can watch basketball. I did both last night. You can watch football tonight. Apparently, hockey's starting up. That's the thing. Still, um, you can still, <laughs> you know, you can you can find sports. Now we could not do that. Now remember, there was college football last night. Yeah, yeah. I remember when ESPN came on, watching the same hour loop for twenty as many hours as I could. And it was the mm-hmm. same hour loop. It was yeah. the same highlights. I was so excited, you know, during that time. We had that MTV, but before that, we had one game on Saturday with baseball. We had two or three games. I remember sneaking. That you know, I'm not an easy sleeper at night. I'm a I'm a night owl. But I remember faking going to sleep, sneaking in, putting a heavy blanket over the living room TV, and watching Monday Night Football from an old yeah close rate range to watch Monday night football when I was supposed to be asleep. I remember. Oh, I did it. Like that. And now every night's Monday night football. You know, like you said, oh, yeah. football last night, you know, you had NBA, you had major league baseball, you got NFL tonight. You got, what about the Braves man getting disrespected with these afternoon? I like them. Don't get me wrong. I don't mind them at all, but, uh, the Braves with these matinee playoff games. I guess that's what happens though when you got the Yankee and yeah. Dodger brands but also, uh, in the playoffs. For me, the West Coast. I get the West Coast because if they have, I mean, can a West Coast team? They have need to play at night. Seven yeah. Central start. You know what I You're mean? You're talking about a noon noon thirty first pitch. Yeah. 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 Now they. Yeah. They. It's and just, the Yankees are going to play in prime time. That's just the way it is, right? Yeah. I mean, and you know what? I'll be, I'll be honest. Watching this series, it's. The Yankees are by far the most boring of these series. I watched the Dodgers last night. They had a great game. You got the Braves and Phillies who have been fun. The Yankees, the Guardians, it's just, you know, you got Judge. But take Judge out there and name your next three favorite players. I mean, it's not really. It's Giancarlo. Yeah, there's guys on there now. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying nationally. I mean, obviously, they're good teams. If you ask them who's the second best Yankee, you know, player who's the third best, you know, it'd take a Yankee fan to really know. But I mean, if you look at the Dodgers, oh, you know, their players. If you look at the Padres, you know, their players, you know, the Phillies players. I mean, they got former MVPs, you know, the Braves, you know, so you're seeing Seattle game. I mean, good grieving, a walk off ninth inning home run, three run home run. And that wasn't, I don't know who that ball hit, but they, they are hurting. They didn't (laughs) like it. Nobody caught that ball. You know, nobody caught that ball. They dodged that ball that Alvarez hit. He hit a miss. He hit a missile. So, um, yeah. So it's you're right. Yankees are going to get prime time, but I've found it to be, although I like it, I find it the least entertaining of the four series. 
You ready to get in the mailbag, the BOL roundtable mailbag, Tim? Probably not, but we would do that. Well, we're going to do it. Zach underscore F gets us going with Tennessee on the immediate horizon. He asks, best cigar in our opinion. You're more of a cigar guy. I know that than I am, but let's hear it, Tim. Give us the uh, the expert analysis there for this, this weekend. You know, I don't do fancy cigars very often unless I'm at a cigar box. Um, I always go with the, you know, probably in the five to eight dollar range and I get them by the box. Uh, uh, Romeo cigarette cigar. I like them a little lighter than, you know, a lot of people like them darker. I like them lighter. I like the Churchill. I like a two hour burn. I kind of, I kind of, uh, you know, I kind of have cigars based on how long I'm going to need to smoke them. So, if, uh, you know, if it's a long, you know, if I'm about to have a a long talk, I'll do a little bit longer as far as the size. I love a Churchill. I love the shorties. If you want a cheap one, Oliva is a good one. You want a fancy one, Perdermo is a really good one. I had a great one of those. <laughs> I was in New York City for Christmas with uh, one of my best friends and a guy I work with, Andy Johnson, and we had a great one of those. But for me, just an everyday cigar, I, I like a good Romeo light. Not a big dark guy. I had Cubans when we went to the Cayman Island. Uh, I brought 20 of those back, and you would have thought I was smuggling a pure hair. <laughs> I was sweating. Pablo Escobar I, I coming like, back. You know, I look like Ray Liotto driving around with a helicopter over me over those cigars. Came you want to see helicopters? You want to see helicopters? I thought had pure drugs on me. Then get home and realize they would have just taken them from me. There was There was no... <laughs> Oh, geez. I would not get tasered. So that's it for me. I like a good Romeo. I think it's a good price, 5 to $8. Yeah. Well, uh, Zach, I appreciate you teeing it up for me because uh, Peterbrook Chocolatier in Tuscaloosa, they've got chocolate cigars. So uh, if you're not a traditional cigar smoker or aficionado like Tim, go get you one of those. Uh, go get you a box of those chocolate cigars at yeah. Peterbrook in Tuscaloosa. I appreciate that, Zach. Teed that right up for me. Yeah. <laughs> M16MA Saint A asked him if one recruit that Alabama currently has committed has the potential to rise to a five star by the end of the process, who would you pick to be that prospect, Tim? Um I don't know if they will. I don't claim to know the what the 24/7 guys are thinking with their evaluations. I don't I don't get involved in the process very often. I know that um, Pierre from Ufala should definitely be under consideration. He was named to the um, the uh, former Army All-Star game, the All-American game. Uh, terrific player, good kid, can flash off the edge, has a skill. What's crazy about him, 6'4", 220, is he's going to get bigger, and he's going to mm-hmm. get faster. He dominated the Alabama camp. Um, it's been very quiet around him because nobody seemed to really know. We were hyping him up early, but, you know, he was a low three-star. Even now, I think he's risen up into the top 100. So he's made a rise. But I still think that he's probably the guy that has – because you look, you know, what's the NFL one on defense? They want guys that can pressure the quarterback or guys that can guard a wide receiver the length of the field like Pat Sertain or mm-hmm. – or, Stingley, that's the main. They like a length too, and that's what this cat's got. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So Pierre, for me, uh, on top of being a good kid, a workhorse—I mean, everything about him, everything you hear—has a skill set. And when he learns, and you know, it's funny thing about it, 
his junior year, I just felt like he was just, you know, you know, an animal out there, just find the ball, get the ball, chasing people down. But if you watch him this year, dude's put you in a blender. I mean, he's got some, he's added some moves to his repertoire. He had, you know, offensive coaches at the Alabama camp were talking about uh, Pierre, which is a good sign because usually you're just watching your own position, you're evaluating. But when you're like, you know, when you know a coach says, who the hell is that guy? You know, that that's uh, a standout. I'm not saying he will be a five-star, but I certainly think he should be in the discussion. Whether or not that happens, I, I don't know. But I know Alabama is extremely happy to have him. Well, you got a question about Bryce, whether or not he'll play in the game Saturday. I'm going with him playing. Um, not sure about you. Uh, I think you obviously got to have Milrow ready. Uh, but I, I'm at the point where I'm going to be surprised if Bryce doesn't play Saturday, Tim. Yeah, I think – I mean, obviously, every yesterday I thought was a good sign because I talked to people, and they sort of said, I, you know, I wouldn't expect to hear anything at all Mondays, what I was told. Not a lot Tuesday. Wednesday will tell the tale. If he's not mm-hmm. out Tuesday, he's not playing was what I was told. And he was out there. Now, I do think – you know, Nick Saban is going to err on the side of the caution because I think Bryce wants to play so bad. And Nick Saban, I know Nick Saban appreciates that. But then again, you got to see the big picture with Bryce. So let's be honest. I know nobody wants to hear this, but um, put aside the fact he's got a huge future in the NFL. But this game means it, it's it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not that for Tennessee either. It's not a divisional game for either team. And that's exactly right. Tennessee can lose. Road to Atlanta still ahead of them. All they got to do is beat Georgia and went out. Alabama can lose the road ahead of them. And let's be honest, if that's your one loss, if this is your one loss after the SEC championship game, you're going to the playoffs. So there's a big sure. there's a big picture here to look at. I mean, you you, you survived Arkansas with Jalen. Uh, you survived Texas A&M with Jalen. You still got two pretty good teams in a row. You got Tennessee and don't sleep on Mississippi State, who I think is a, a good fun opponent. So. Um, I would think he plays with B. I want to be clear. I do not have any information that he will. I would think he plays. Or it could be, you know, he's in the bullpen ready to play if needed in an emergency. But I think this is going to be really Nick Saban's decision more than anybody else because I don't think he's going to risk Bryce getting hurt. Any yeah, because you're right. Bryce is going to say I can play. I mean, it's, it's not all that uh, different than Tua a couple of years ago. In, in his situation. So, you know, I, I, every situation is different. That's not to say at all that these are entirely alike by any means, but the, the point remains, there comes a point where the adults involved have to maybe sometime protect the kids from themselves. Oh, and yeah. I, I'm sure that's what Nick Saban's having a way in his mind right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you saw Bryce's reaction when he, when he had to leave the game. Yeah, I mean, have you ever seen Bryce? He wanted to go back in. Yeah, I mean, but he slammed his helmet. He was like, oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. Bryce cusses. I imagine he doesn't a lot, but I've got a feeling that you know he might have threw out some. Uh, there was a dad uh, gummit. Yeah, been, there was a dad gummit there. There might have been a Christmas story father rant right there. <laughs> you know what I mean, Christmas turkey. All oh, those wild dogs. They took yeah. Bryce turkey. He is not happy. Yeah, so we'll see with Bryce Young, but that's that's about the best we can give you uh, here about Thursday midday. Uh, lefty 2-0, Lefty 20, we uh, we covered the Milrow A&M performance, so we'll get to the more pressing question of his two. 
ugliest team colors slash uniforms in the SEC. Who do we got, Tim? Who do you who would you start with there? I look, there's more than one for me, so get us started. They said in the SEC or overall? In the SEC. Um, I, See, I, for me, it's tough because I think there's there's fan gear that's awful, but then the team of those fans is actually pretty good. I use LSU as an example of that. I love what LSU's uniforms look like on the field, but, man, what the fans are left with with those colors is not good. See, for me, it would be – and this is bad timing, so don't think – <laughs> I, I Tennessee. I, yeah, that's I, not a great I, orange, is it? Well, I grew up, you know, grew up redheaded. It's kind of faded as I went along. So definitely, you can't put a redhead no no damn <laughs> pullover. So I look like you know, orange is not my color. And that it would extend to Clemson, Florida, or anywhere else. So Tennessee definitely. Plus, it's kind of boring. I mean, you got orange. Yeah. And white. I know it's traditional. Um, Mississippi State, I kind of feel the same way. I will say Tennessee, I know it's probably a hot topic, but I do like that gray Tennessee war at LSU as I mix it up because it added some flash to the color. That smoke gray. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I felt, that, that I felt was a little bit more, um, you know, I mean, orange is a color is hard to pull off. And I know what you're saying about LSU. I look at LSU like their band wears this old like LSU uniform and it looks fantastic. They ought to have their gear in that. Yeah. That bright that bright purple's a little bit harder to pull off. Man, the LSU fans, they go all purple too. Like they'll the purple windsuits, the purple Nike trainers, uh all the purple. It's it's tough to pull that off. And and I'm with you on any of the oranges. Uh, although I would say I, I would prefer the orange and blue over just the Tennessee orange and like you said. Um, the white. So those would be uh, kind of my choices there. Um, I think when you talk about some of the best, Vanderbilt can have it when they want to with yeah. that uh, with that black and gold. It can look really good. Um, Georgia, and, and Georgia has some Georgia, good combo options. When they when Georgia incorporated the silver britches back yeah. around eighty, that yes. that helped. That helped a lot getting the silver in there. I thought. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anytime you can offset it a little bit, you know, some of these teams, I'm not a bit, I, I like tradition. So I'm not, that's why Tennessee's, you know, Tennessee doesn't bother me. Um, I just personally couldn't wear it. It's, I guess that's the way I'd look at it. But I mean, I'd certainly choose what Tennessee does with over some of the drastic measures taken. And at least with Texas, it's a burn orange coming in, right? When Texas comes in, that that's a, that's a pretty good looking orange. That's the, probably the best orange I would say is what Texas brings that burnt orange, Tim. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, I, I would take any of these traditional uniforms over the, some of the neon and the, the, the colors I see right now. I'm sure that's, you know, there's people that love it, but some of these uniforms, these new uniforms are terrible. I see across the, across the nation. So not they this, look like a arena football or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, there's too much, you know, it's too much, you know, it's like spiking your hair and dying it blue, you know, one, <laughs> Pick one, spike it or dye it blue. We're going to look at you either way. Oh, the Alabama fans, some of them, they want uh, that alternative Alabama uniform. I don't know if we're going to see that. So who do you have? We're, we're in these Major League Baseball. Who have you got? We've closed out football. All right. Got finishing these four series. I got to take the Dodgers right now. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's I know a, that's low-hanging fruit, but come on. They're, now, they lost last night. They were up. I know, but I, 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 
And, and look, San Diego has got, as you said earlier, San Diego is a team you want to watch. Absolutely. Now, I'll tell you, you know? Dodgers, when they lose, a lot of times you're not even sure they lost because they have as many highlights. <laughs> they, <laughs> they have. That was certainly a game. That wasn't like the Braves game where you felt the Braves were always in control of that right. game yesterday. And, I, and, hey, and Wheeler – did a fantastic job. We were pitched great, man. It, and, and, and the Phillies pitched Gave great. up a three spot, and that was it. Yeah, it was know? really came down was who was going to blink first, you know, and the Braves got three in that one inning. Good and, defense, too, by yeah, the Braves. great defense. You know, let, me tell you, let me tell you something that irritates me. Why? I don't know if every team does this. I notice it with the Braves most of all. Why are the infielders in the middle of the damn outfield catching balls over their head so consistently? <laughs> Why is the outfielder not? Where's the outfielders at? Yeah. They're back there. There's no way I've never. Well, some teams, some teams like the Yankees, you got a six foot seven center fielder out there sometimes. Um, So that could have something to do with it, but I'm with you. It's it's an optic I can't get used to. made a catch yesterday and it was unbelievable, but I'm not sure he had to make it. (laughs) Yeah. It was probably unbelievable. It wasn't the same as like, you know. I the, think there are so many extra base hits too now, though, Tim, that teams are playing their outfield basically on the track, right? I yeah. mean. And it could be safety too, where, you know, just let him get it if he can get it. Because we, true. Saw, we saw the Blue Jays in their last game. We saw the center fielder crash into, uh, I can't remember. It was uh, Bichette, not video. Bichette, they crashed into each other and had an injury and ended up losing that game. Mm-hmm. So that could be it. But I mean, they make, they do, they make, you know, another play in that game that, you know, that, you know, kind of got sort of lost in the shuffle was uh, um, Eddie Rosario catching that ball off the wall and holding it to a single in the eighth inning. I mean, that was mm-hmm. obvious to keep them out of there, um, to keep that guy off second base. And Travis Denard, I don't know how. People don't love that guy more. I mean, you got to love that guy. He is as clutch as it gets. He is. Yes, he it. is. And they, after the performance by Freed in game one, boy, right coming up like he did. I, what I liked about that game, too, was there were only like three walks between the two teams. I, I like that. You know? It was fast. I mean, you looked up in the sixth inning, and both of them yeah. were in the 60s with the pitches, which is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The pitches got- were really good. You got the Yankees going on real quick. Who else you got? I don't trust the Yankees at all, you know. Oh, you got I mean, the Tigers going on, and then, yeah. So you don't trust the Yankees. I don't trust the Yankees in the American League, although I look at that side and go, you know, it, it seems inevitable in some ways that we're headed for uh, Yankees and Dodgers, which from a visual perspective, if it's not going to be the Braves, which it still might be, that's okay. the series I'd, I'd want to see the Yankees and the Dodgers just because of the traditionalist in me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if the Braves were out, me, I want to screw the whole thing up. I gotta be, <laughs> you want the Guardians. I'm serious. I want to, no, no, no. I want the Mariners. Oof. The Padres. That's what I if, – Ah, jeez. If the out, I am screwing the whole – Oh, the TV networks would just be jumping out of – I am screwing the whole thing. Top of the rock windows. I, do, I still do like the Mariners. I think they're going to be uh, competitive. Astros are such a monster to beat. And, of course, I still think the Braves are in, you know, they get, you know, the Braves winning that game last night was the most important. I saw some stupid stat where they were like, 
two and 14. I can't remember exactly. The Braves don't win game one of that series very often, but they win game two very often. So kind of where mm-hmm. you thought, you know, with the Braves. And of course, home field advantage doesn't really play a big factor. Does the band box park in Philly favor the Braves or the Phillies coming up here? You know, I think starting tomorrow night, tomorrow afternoon. Just, I feel like those two teams are very similar. Similar, yeah. The one thing with the Phillies I'm curious to see, do they have that magic that the Braves had last year? If you remember the Braves, mm-hmm. probably not sure you could say they were the best team in baseball, but, man, when they caught fire and yeah. everything went their way, they were just magical. And that's the thing about baseball is literally anybody can win any day. And that's for series two. I mean, often the pitching – will carry them. But I don't feel, you know, the Dodgers, if they had, you know, if they had Trevor Bauer, if he, I don't know if he's ever, I'm sure he's coming back next year. Right. But if the Dodgers had Trevor Bauer and Walker Bueller, I would give the Dodgers a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite. Yeah, it's true. They, They're they, down a little bit in their pitching staff, aren't they? They didn't have those two guys for most of the year and still won 111 games. I know. I'm I know. So, the absurd. You ever been to Philly, Tim? You ever been to Philadelphia? I, I, been to Philly, one northeast. It's a it's a cool town. I mean, it's edgy, you know. But I like that. See, I like the Rust Belt towns like Chicago and Pittsburgh and Cleveland. I like those towns. I haven't been to Detroit yet, but I want to go. I know a lot of people like. Why do you want to go to Detroit? It's got its own thing going. That's what I like. I don't like every city USA, right? There's a handful of cities in this country that are. It you could take a blindfold off of me, and I couldn't guess where I'm at. Well, I know when I'm in Chicago or Pittsburgh or Absolutely. places like that. And Philly's kind of that way. And, um, I, I like Philadelphia. I saw an army Navy game there at, uh, the, the Eagle stadium. So I'm not saying go there for a week, but you know, a couple of days, not a bad place for a couple of nights. Even the people, from yeah. Philly, you know, go get us, go get a cheesesteak, not at the tourist traps. Yeah, either. Go to gyms. Well, we were flying to Rome. That was our layover in Philly. And we okay. did get a Philly cheesesteak at the airport. Yeah, so, well, that counts. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, we gave, you know, we you know, we wanted to be adventurous. And I was thinking, like, all right, leave our luggage. Run. I mean, <laughs> get the Uber. My wife. There was a time, you know, when you could do that. But now they make it so hard to leave and come back and do things like that. Even if you have, like, an eight- or ten-hour layover, you're like, screw it, man. I'm yeah. not going through all that. This was like a two hour. I was going to be pushing it, but I was like, yeah. You know, if I wasn't going to Rome, which is probably you know like one of the food capitals of the world. <laughs> yeah, you were going to be okay in Rome. If yeah. I'd have been, if I'd have been coming back from Birmingham, I'd have been like, screw it, I can get a rental if I miss the flight. I'm getting mm-hmm. I'm getting that Philly cheesesteak. So. <laughs> well, all right, man. That is the roundtable mailbag for this week, and I think uh, we're just about a wrap here on the latest edition of T Watts and TR, a part of the Bama online podcast. Tim, anything else before we get out of here? No, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing this game this week. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see these, these challenges. You know, I do, I am a firm You're looking believer. for a lot of points. You thinking this is the shootout. Some people are anticipating Tim. You know, I think, I think that Heifel is going to take shots, but I mean, even if you look at the LSU game, what did they score? 40 points or what did, what did they score in that LSU game? I mean, a lot of those 40, exactly 40 to 13 and yeah, LSU helped more than a little bit. Oh gosh, LSU definitely. I mean, I mean, you know, props to Tennessee for going in there and doing what you got to do. But I mean, that stadium was not full. 
is early. Uh, it was perfect. Yeah, you, know, you want to yeah, play them at eleven. Yeah, they, how do you onside kick to their inside their ten? That guy <laughs> hit off that guy's chest and ricocheted to Tennessee. They, you know, they 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 capitalize on every opportunity. They made opportunity, so mm-hmm. they forty points in that. You know, it's going to be a little bit harder. I think Alabama's going to, you know, I think Alabama's going to try to establish the run and mix things in. Maybe get the tight end involved a little bit more. I mean, you got to kind of do, in my opinion, you got to kind of do something a little different, um, regardless of who the quarterback is. You know, I still think you've got to establish the run. They just got too much going in the run game right now. That offensive line seems to be gelling, you know, protect the quarterback. And that's something else, you know, another thing that will help Jalen Milrow if he is the starter. Is I don't think, I might be wrong, but I don't think Tennessee's going to get the pressure or throw the looks the same looks at him that Texas A&M did. Cause no matter what you say, Texas A&M's front seven is filled with athletes and highly ranked guys. Tennessee on paper looks improved against the run. I guess we'll find out Saturday afternoon at Neyland stadium when Jameer Gibbs and Jace McClellan roll into town. All right, Tim should be a fun weekend with Alabama, Tennessee, and just a fun sports weekend in general. We're certainly going to have a lot of fun at BamaOnline.com as we continue to get you ready for the third Saturday in October. You're going to want to hang out with us right there at the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. So much to talk about, so much to cover. We're going to do it all right there at BamaOnline.com. Hey, Tim, enjoyed it. We'll do it again next week. See you next week, man. For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, thanking you for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. And until next time, So long, everybody.